Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Film Chat. On this episode, after being arrested for drink driving, I'm forced to pay my debt to society by performing community service in my old hometown. This service takes the form of coaching the local ice hockey team, who consists of a ragtag group of misfits. At first, I'm less than impressed with these retrobates, but as they learn to work together as a team, my cold, cold heart can't help but melt. I strike up a bond with the team's captain, Sam Foster, and also begin a romance with his beautiful mother. All of this comes to a head when we play the local reigning champions, a team consisting of a bunch of overprivileged bullies, who I'm pleased to say we beat is what I would be saying if this was a pod adaptation of the Disney classic Mighty Ducks. However, this is just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dan Moran, and joining me is a plucky young fella with a gift for ice hockey and a very attractive mother, Sam Foster. Hi. And it's two uh, duck-themed films in a row. <laughs> I like it. I like the mini trend. Yeah. Yeah, it's duck season. Exactly. Um, which also, I think, is a film. Maybe do that one next week. <laughs> yeah, let's do it next week. So, this is what's really happening on today's episode. We are reviewing the shit out of Ridley Scott's The Martian, a film about Matt Damon getting stranded alone on Mars, possibly as punishment for recent tone-deaf comments about racial diversity and gay people. We also take a look at A Syrian Love Story, a heartbreaking documentary about a family of dissidents turned refugees that takes all your problems and makes them look utterly meaningless. We also ask if there is any role Nicolas Cage hasn't been at some point up for, we reveal what Vin Diesel considers to be the appropriate number of Fast and Furious films to exist. And Danny quizzes me on my knowledge of everyone's favourite Pope, the Hope Pope, the Pon-terrific, so-hat-right-now Pope Francis. That has something to do with films in, in some way, I'm told. Finally, there should be time for me to read every question ever posed by Paul Walker in a film. From Hold There a Second, Will You Mister, in 1986's Monster in the Closet, to Thought You Could Leave Without Saying Goodbye, in Fast and Furious 7. He's posed some <laughs> perplexing questions in his oh time. <laughs> and I, for Mind one, blown. am very excited to hear myself say them. Let's start the show. <laughs> Feeling comfortable 
film chat has begun. So after I pretty much begged for people to send us something to read out, mm. Chris got in touch on Twitter. He asks, uh, there's been a lot of chat about speeches this week. What are the best slash worst movie speeches? Hashtag topical. And he uh, followed this up with, I can't really think of any that aren't very cheesy. The Lord of the Rings, not this day one, is a guilty pleasure. That's a pretty good speech. I genuinely think that's pretty good. Yeah. I think um, speeches are rarely earned in a film, which is why many of them suck. You mean you feel like it's just the speechwriter? I mean, so the screenwriter was like, now for an incredible speech. Exactly. This is my Henry V moment. Yeah. Henry V? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, Lord of the Rings one, it's like, it's been nine hours. It's like building up. It's like, you know... Yeah. Fair enough. Definitely. I agree. But in terms of best speeches, I have some very obvious picks. I really like uh, The Great Dictator. That's mm-hmm. an amazing speech. And also because that whole movie is about Hitler being an orator. Orator? An orator. An orator. And just having that sort of flipped is really clever and it's sort of built into the plot. So it's yes. completely justified. And it's also this really, like, you know, humans, we got to be nicer to each other's speech. It's like timeless. That's amazing. And I think... The naughty's equivalent of that is the Team America World Police speech he gives about uh, pussies, dicks, and assholes. Ah, yes. Which yeah. I think is like an am- a genuinely like amazing speech and also hilarious. Yeah, I remember the one. I remember it very clearly. The uh, worst? Sorry, do you have any... I really picks? like um, Christopher Walken's... Like maybe it's more of a monologue than a speech. Oh, it's... Pulp Fiction. The Watch. The Watch. The Watch. The Watch. The Watch. Yeah. I give it to you. Yeah, yeah, that's an incredible, that's an incredible speech. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a, there's a sort of, I think a lot of like famous movie speeches kind of um, fit into the category of like macho men kind of uh, pumping their testosterone all over the screen. Yeah, in a way which is you know probably good individually, but if you watch about six of them and you start to get a bit sick of these stupid guys, like uh, all those like football, like as I was looking up like what are the top speeches ever, and it's all these stupid football team things and you just watch three of them and you're like is that important is that really yeah. that important i think the best macho one is alec baldwin and glengarry glenn ross yeah because that's, that's like, like ott macho like, that whole movie is it. just like fuck you fuck you you fuck me fuck you yeah. i'm a man you're not a man yeah fuck that's, you fuck you look you, you you're saying that i'm a man and you're not a man I'm, that's what i'm saying fuck you fuck you fuck myself <laughs> if i'm a, if i'm as much of a man as you fuck you go clown yourself fuck yourself yeah 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 You'd probably be able to reproduce by yourself. You're not even a man. You're like a kind of both sexes in one. Fuck you. This is like, this is better than man that we're doing right now. It's riffing. Incredible. Um, I think... Yeah, hashtag better than man at riffing. Started training, guys. Uh, in terms of worse, the one that sprang to mind was Independence Day. Just because mm. the line, today we celebrate our Independence Day. Yeah, it says day twice. It's Come annoying. on, that's, yeah. just, that's just bad syntax. Today, on this day of all days, <laughs> we celebrate our Independence Day. Yeah. yeah. Hooray, hooray, <laughs> hooray. Uh, that one, the um, Matrix Reloaded uh, <laughs> Zion orgy scene. Yeah. Which I think is like a lame version that's a good, of, that's a good pick. of the, um, the one on the Warriors, the speech in the Warriors. Can you Warriors. dig it? Which is like a sort of super 80s um, sort of New York. Yeah. It's like really cheesy, but it kind of works. But then when it's like put into like super po-faced end of the world sort of context, it's like ridiculous. I would, I would say that pretty much every, anything that could be considered a speech in the second two Matrix films is probably one of the worst speeches ever. <laughs> <laughs> like anytime a character is holding forth. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good, there's some good ones in the first movie and then in the second two, not so much. Exactly. 
So, question answered, Chris, I think. Good one, Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Good well, one. Well good done. one. Yeah. Don't know why we're taking this tone. I well done, genuinely Chris. appreciate you. you sending in that question. Yeah. Thanks, man. Cheers, man. We owe you one. So, we've got a bunch more questions from Carol. We've probably spent quite a long time on the correspondence already, so we'll have to do sort of quick fire type answers for these. Yeah. Okay. Carol asks, what's the most referred to cliche in movies that has become a cliche in itself? That's a convoluted question. I would say sort of um, super self-aware villains who, like, you think I'm going to tell you my secret plan? Yeah. All that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Villains who have seen Bond movies. Definitely. That's a good one. Like, um, you was, you mentioned Dogma earlier, right? Dogma. And in The, the Incredibles. <laughs> The Incredibles. Yeah. Just Jason Lee um, performances. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Jason Lee always does. And um, James Spader as Ultron in Age of Ultron does that when he's like, yeah, yeah now I'm going to reveal my plan, sure. But, you know, yeah. he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Does Question like answered. That. Yeah. Sorry. That was not quite far enough. Could Daniel Craig play Shaft? Danny, yes or no? Yes. I say no. At what stage is Tom Hardy at with the funny voiceometer in The Revenant? Has he surpassed Bane? Danny? Uh, no, nothing's surpassed Bane yet, I don't think. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's up for debate, but I would say he's probably a notch below Bane, but like a notch above Lawless. Yeah. Why is Tom Hanks constantly in her underpants in Turner and Hooch? Danny, any theories? I um, just low budget, couldn't afford costumes. I think he was contractually obliged to show his pants because um, he had a contract with um, Calvin Klein. And Marvellous. Final question. That's all I got. Not a question, Carol. Not a question. So, um, thanks for that. Thanks, thanks for, for all that correspondence. Yeah. We spent too much time on it, so let's wrap it up. Okay, move on to the news. Move on. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Fast and Furious news about the Fast and Furious franchise. Vin Diesel has spoken about the future of the franchise, um, which is already one of the longest-running things of all time, probably. Feels that way. Yeah. Just had its seventh, um, which was a massive mega hit. Um, And uh, people are probably thinking, where will it go from here onto an eighth? Maybe some more cars, maybe some more explosions. Maybe some more, like, bonding. Some women's bums. Some women's bums, maybe. Like a yeah. bit where a woman in a bikini kind of shakes her bum and then a car drives away. Like yeah, and then it explodes. <laughs> Reduce it down into a gift. <laughs> That's what normally happens. So someone spoke to Vin Diesel and tried to work out what he was saying after all, like the rumbling. And uh, he has confirmed that Universal's given the go-ahead to three more films in the Fast and Furious franchise. Wow. This is what Diesel wrote on Facebook. The fans of Fast and Furious decide we're the best fans of the world. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. He wrote, The fans of the Fast and Furious saga are the best... Sorry, sagas in capital. Let me read that again properly. The fans of the Fast and the Furious saga are the best fans in the world. Since I became the producer in 2008, you have been with me every step of the way, literally giving me feedback that proved invaluable. Thank you. My producing partner, Neil, would love for me to just sign off on a director. But this is too... Sp- <laughs> <laughs> this this is too special a franchise, so these matters have to be very carefully handled. To be clear, no one has been offered to helm Fast 8 yet, let alone see the script. <laughs> Get on to the trilogy, my friend. Universal has been so good to me and so trusting of the vision, they have been like family. He's always going about family, he loves isn't he? family. <laughs> 
I wonder if he has any actual biological family because he so frequently references his friend's family. I think that I've read somewhere like he didn't know his dad. Oh, I see. So maybe he's just sort of, you know, I'm not going to be my father. I'm going to be there for my family. Like every male friend I have over a certain age is my father. Yeah. Um, he goes on in his Facebook post, I promised the studio I would deliver one last trilogy to end the saga. <laughs> <laughs> one last trilogy. After two trilogies and then one film. <laughs> we bad maths. Do- <laughs> <laughs> what does he see it as like a trilogy and a quadrilogy? Then you round that off with a trilogy. Does Tokyo Drift count? Is that like the weird one? Right. Maybe. Maybe. So it's like a two and then a quadrilogy. <laughs> it's two and then this <laughs> random one and then it finished the trilogy. And then with five, it came back for a new trilogy. <laughs> oh, I see. So one, two, and four are a trilogy. Three's a standalone. Five, six, and seven are a trilogy. That makes a certain yeah. amount of sense. And then... Uh, uh, eight, nine, ten. Eight, nine, and ten. That's a new trilogy. Brilliant. Um, I think the most exciting part of this news is, like, what are they going to call them? You know, because yeah. they've, 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 they've had such a sort of unorthodox approach to sequel naming. So this last one was like Fast 7? Well, yeah. well it... it had a number of different names in different places. I think it was like Furious 7 in some places, Fast and Furious 7 in others. Right. So 6 reckon... was just Fast and Furious 6, yeah. right? Or was it Fast 6? No, because five, 5 was Fast 5 or Fast and Furious Rio 5 Heist. Rio Heist. Yeah. I hope they didn't just go for like Fast 8, Fast 9, Fast no, no, 10. No, 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 I no. want to like have some something inventive. else. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Tokyo Drift Heist. Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one's New York, right? Oh, is it? San New York. So it's New York and then another exciting word. New York. Drift. Eight. New York. Fast and Furious. Think of the first title that comes to your head. Um. (laughs) Wait, Fast. the the first title. Does does it have to be be anything? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to cut out all this brown. I'm just going to cut straight to your answer. (laughs) Speed Apple. (laughs) We got it, guys. We did it. Yeah, no, Speed Apple. <laughs> no Fast and Furious bit in the front. Yes. <laughs> Next one's going to be called Speed Apple. This is brilliant. Okay, what about the ninth one? <laughs> Where's First one that comes to your head. Wait, where Let's it go set? for it. Um, Where's it set? I don't know. Gothenburg Riggle. Brilliant. Gothenburg yeah, Riddle. Set, set in uh, Sweden. Okay, the tenth one is also the finale. Um, you can maybe like end is in the title somewhere. Fast and Finale. <laughs> Last and finale. Last and finale. So speed apple. <laughs> was it Rothenberg giggle? Wriggle? Yeah, Gothenburg wriggle. Gothenburg wriggle. That's really just nothing. And Last and the finale. Last and finale. Last and finale. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Brilliant. Well, wonderful. I'll send it over to Vin on his Facebook because he reads this stuff, right? It's, this yeah. can be invaluable feedback. Pop, it, pop that off to Vin. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll look forward to hearing back from him. You're welcome, Ben. And I hope I can understand what he says. I hope he writes whatever it is. <laughs> I hope he writes his response. Marvelous. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Finally, 
So, Nicolas Cage, he could have been in The Matrix, but he wasn't. He could have been Superman, but he wasn't. The latest thing thing that Nicolas Cage could have been but wasn't is Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. Wow. Not the most obvious casting, but then, like, every one of these um, fantasy casting stories by Nicolas Cage seems, like, random. Wasn't he also up for the John Travolta role in Pulp Fiction? Like, he was on um, oh, yeah. Tarantino's list. He was just very hot in the 90s. People just want... They wanted Nick Cage for stuff in the 90s absolutely desperately. Um, and it certainly would have added a unique cadence to some of Aragorn's um, famous lines, you know? Yeah. And I, and, I don't know. Does Aragorn ever lose his shit? He gets pretty annoyed when he thinks uh, Merry and Pippin are dead. He kicks that thing. He's like, ah! Merry! And he, like, broke his toe for real. Oh, really? Yeah, like, he kicked this thing and, like, he broke his toe and he, like, the take in the movie is him, like, screaming in pain. (laughs) But, like, he just, because he's so good at acting, he, like, made a sort of anguished cry. Well, Nicolas Cage is famously a method actor, isn't he? Yeah. So, um, what would he have done? He would have, like, broken his fucking leg. (laughs) Broken both his legs. The rest of the movie, just being a... (laughs) He would have torn his arm clean off. Yeah, it's weird to think of Nick Cage in that role, but it's weird to think of anybody apart from Viggo Mortensen doing it, yeah, doing it as well. Because I feel like the rest of the Fellowship, you could sort of find actors who could sort of do that. But Aragorn's like a hard thing to pull off. I think there are like, like with the Hobbits. I think there are other baby-faced actors you could glue yeah. some hair onto. You could their find feet, like yeah. a gruff Welshman to play the dwarf. You could yeah. find like a blonde guy to play the elf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But like Aragorn is like hard to, you know, like Sean Bean could have done it, you know. I could kind of have um, imagined Richard Armitage as it. I mean, none of it kind of cast like the Aragorn of the Hobbit. Yeah. But he has a similar quality. Yeah, yeah. Kind of grizzled, manly man. It's true. Like, not like super traditionally handsome, but kind of sexy in a sex. kind of hairy way. Yeah, yeah. Ha- hairy sex. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. What he offers is hairy sex. And I don't know if Nicolas Cage has that quality. No. And what, like, I don't understand. Why was he up for these sort of super, like, matinee idol kind of roles? I mean, like, you know, he's a sort of weird actor. He just won an Oscar, I guess, for um, yeah. Leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> like any role that calls for that noise, he's gonna <laughs> nail. It's gonna knock it out the park. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like Aragorn's lines. <laughs> Put the hobbits in alphabetical order. <laughs> you know, Mary, Pippin, Sam Frodo. I didn't think that quite. <laughs> I didn't quite get that right. Frodo obviously should have come first. You know, Bilbo, Frodo, Merry, Pippin, Sam. <laughs> that would have been amazing. You've been dragged up to the sidewalk and it's so hard that you pissed blood. <laughs> yeah. That would have been great. Ah, oh, what if, huh? Yeah, if only he'd been allowed to write his own lines. <laughs> if only well allowed to say lines of other movies he'd made. Yeah. We've definitely talked enough about this. <laughs> so I'm shutting it down. Shutting it down. End of the news. <laughs> End of the news. over. So, A Syrian Love Story is a documentary film that has had a sort of limited cinematic release recently. I think it's showing at Picture House at the moment. Um, and you may still be able to catch it on uh, BBC iPlayer, which is the medium through which I chose to um, enjoy it. It's a documentary by a filmmaker called Sean McAllister. He made it over five years from 2010 to 2014. And he's following a family in Syria, um, which he started filming just before the Arab Spring um, and continued filming right up, um, I think, right up until this year, because um, 
online it says date twenty fourteen, but maybe he updated it for the BBC or something like that because there's a little bit of twenty fifteen in it right oh, at the end. Wow. And it's sort of like a bonus bit for you know more recent viewers. Um, but it's a very it's a very very interesting film and it's very um, well pitched. It's quite sad and heartbreaking. And um, one of the things Mark Kermit said about it, which I uh, agree with, is that it's a nice balance between the kind of personal family story and the political background. Right. It's a movie that deserves to be seen as widely as possible because Syria is in the news so much. And people's experience of Syria right now is mainly like ISIS, you know, like insane terrorists destroying monuments and like beheading people and setting them on fire and that kind of thing. Um, And a civil war um, with the dictator Assad, like fighting the rebels. And uh, the question of whether we should go over there and bomb some of the people there or not, and whether we should stop other people bombing them. And also it's like a source of like an endless... um, flood of refugees who want to come here and like steal all our jobs or something like that they want to start their own film podcast right <laughs> yeah we'll be out of a job but, yeah exactly pretty soon we're going to be replaced by a whole gang of syrian refugees i probably better. do a lot better they yeah, want it better they want it more than we do than us. yeah that's um, what i'm afraid of they got more life experience that's the thing yeah we're just talking from our bubble that's why this is so shit <laughs> but uh but yeah so i think you sort of like the the movie tackles his issues but you see it from a different light so it's a the the central family they start off living there and um it's it's it is almost as though he's kind of constructed them so you could see all these like different parts of the conflict kind of thing because the mum is in um in prison she's like a political prisoner because she read a book that was like critical of the regime or, or something along those lines right so um she's been in prison for quite a long time and at the start he is um, just speaking to the the father of, um, of these three kids, her her husband, um, and uh, the kids are, like always asking after the mom and like very sad about it. The youngest one is this like absurdly cute child with a kind of Dora the Explorer haircut, who I was sure was a girl, but turned out to be a boy. Um, but it's just very like. Um, sort of very straight about what emotions they're feeling, but, like, really upbeat as well. Right. Like, uh, there's something that really connects you about the way this kid is, like, talks very openly about how much he misses his mum, but, like, doesn't seem, like, self-pitying about it. It's just, like, still very, like, full of life. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, and there's two older sons as well. Um, so she, you got, uh, sorry, so you got the whole, like, demographic of like yeah yeah exactly you're seeing yeah so you're sort of seeing the conflict through someone who's like three years old at the start yeah. of it and then someone who's already disillusioned with assad's regime and that kind of thing right cool and um then the mom returns eventually and then when war erupts they have to leave the country um and it becomes a kind of study of um the strains that it puts on their family and like the strains it puts on their marriage and how that affects them so um it, it has a bit of a quality of like a family drama um as uh because at the beginning like he the, the father talks a lot about how she's the love of his life and you know how wonderful it would be to be back um but then obviously you know things aren't that simple when she returns like it's not like happily ever after because they have a lot of like problems sure um and she is a kind of dissident and she wants to be in syria fighting and like being with her people and stuff and he just kind of wants to like get his family out of there and like be living a more pleasant life somewhere else oh, yeah understandably yeah um and uh the, the narrative is very well well put together and um there's um a little bit of voiceover but for the most part the family he's just kind of keeping up with the story um and uh the family sort of speaks to themselves and they're all so relaxed and open that the narrative doesn't feel too you don't feel like manipulated and there is a degree of like narrative gloss put over it which um i think 
I'm okay with because it distances you a little bit from the horrors of the actual story. You right. Know? Yeah. I think it makes the movie a bit of an easier watch. I mean, I don't know if that makes it a better film, but like there's a couple of bits where something, you know, like when she comes back and she rejoins her family, they put a bit of like music over it and it's in like kind of slow motion, you know, right? Okay. which sounds like kind of lame, but it's like, it is like a really, you know, um, uh, poignant moments so and, you, and you're kind of like okay I went along with it and I was like totally fine with that and I think that sort of thing means that you know that like you're being told a narrative it's not just a sort of portrait of empty horror you know it's a story that's um, the guy's not out to like shock you and make you like feel awful like it's a story about the family so I think that makes it a little bit easier to, um, to get cool. along with and you... uh, yeah I recommend it um do you feel like you uh, got like a good grasp of like the conflict? Like, if you were like didn't know much about Syria to begin with, or do you think you need like a little bit of base I, knowledge going in? I think I think um, if you have the base knowledge of like the Syria's ruled by a dictator called Assad, and yeah. uh, or have you pronounce him Assad or Assad or whatever, that in 2010 there was some protests against him that erupted in the Arab Spring, and then the country descended into civil war. Um, then that's about all, that's you, all you need, need to know. right? Yeah. Um, and it, you don't like you don't get a ton of political information out of the film, but um, you get a sense of the way that it affected um, the people yeah. and how like things were tough in like 2010 when there were all these protests, people being arrested and things like that. But then that's like nothing compared to the like total devastation. Right, right. You know, five years later, and there's a few very like t- like sad moments when some of the characters are shown some of the footage that he shot earlier on. So like the footage at the beginning of the movie is like you watch it and then later on you watch another one of the people being followed right, and yeah, you watch yeah. that footage because for them it's like you know so much has changed um and the the kid who starts off three the incredibly adorable one doesn't remember that part of his life anymore by the time he's like oh, eight wow, okay. and they've moved to france and he likes ident- self-identifies as french now and like the uh sean the, the the filmmaker is asking him like do you remember you know the things you did then or whatever that we've seen him do just like an hour yeah, previously yeah. and he doesn't like quite remember oh okay yeah that it's very it, yeah i mean uh i uh i, de- I definitely re- recommend checking it out i think it's like the sort of thing that people should know a lot more about because you never really it's one of those things that when you watch on the news you're just baffled you know they will just give you like they're deciding whether to bomb here or whatever yeah and like 95 percent of the people watching that news story do not have the sufficient contextual information to grasp what is really happening yeah, yeah. so um so i highly recommend it cool this is an iplayer uh yeah it's an iplayer iplayer at the moment Sweet. i'm sure it can be you know downloaded and whatnot i'm sure it's out there awesome for both legitimate and illegitimate per- you know, purchase <laughs> <laughs> cool cool and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw And was it staggeringly brilliant, was it ass-quenchingly poor How did Danny form the judgment we're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off So The Martian, this is the big blockbuster Which was released yesterday, we're recording on Thursday um, Me and Sam went to see it This is the official synopsis from 20th Century Fox so, during a manned mission to Mars, astronaut Mark Watney is presumed dead after a fierce storm and left behind by his crew. But Watney has survived and finds himself stranded and alone on the hostile planet. With only meager supplies, he must draw upon his ingenuity, wits, and spirit to subsist and find a way to signal to Earth that he is alive. Millions of miles away, NASA and a team of international scientists work tirelessly to bring the Martian home, 
while his crewmates concurrently plot a daring, if not impossible, rescue mission. As these stories of incredible bravery unfold, the world comes together to root for Watney's safe return, based on a best-selling novel. Uh, mm. And here is a clip of uh, Matt Damon, who plays Mark Watney, a uh, day after he's been left behind, and him starting to formulate his plans for survival. Right. Let's do the math. Our service mission here was supposed to last 31 souls. For redundancy, they sent 68 souls worth of food. That's for six people. So for just me, that's going to last 300 souls, which I figure I can stretch to 400 if I ration. So I got to figure out a way to grow three years worth of food here on a planet where nothing grows. Luckily, I'm a botanist. Mars will come to fear my botany powers. So I thought this was like a very fun, uh, enjoyable film, which I liked a lot because it has a lot of elements which I just like in films in general. Um, number one just being uh, professionals in a crisis, mm. which I think always makes for good movies. And uh, I like a lot of winning elements. I'm not sure if it's totally the sum of its parts, and I think it's not particularly super emotionally engaging, but it's like a very slick, very yeah. technically impressive movie. Yeah, and it's a um, it's a very American film in like uh, the way it's <laughs> like all these sort of guys coming together and they're like making each other proud and like they're a team. It's you know, the, solving a problem. It's the indomitable American spirit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on the sort of uh, harshest frontier of all kind of thing. Exactly. And there's no real baddies in it. You know, it's just all about people working together. Yeah, um, yeah. That's what made, so made it original. I, I liked think, it. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I think um, its strengths are in it's so single-minded. Like there are no subplots or backstories or villains. It's like we just got to get this guy home, and that's how uh, that's why the movie's good. But saying that, I think that's what also leads to some of the movie's problems. In that, um, basically, the way the action unfolds can only happen one way, which is a problem happens and he has to solve it. And that is like a fun thing to watch, the scientific process of him solving those various problems. But I I think a problem which I, when I'm reflecting on it for me, like was that the first problem is, as in that clip, is like growing food. And to me, that's like the most impressive thing he does. Yeah. And he solves it. That's the first problem he solves. Yeah, yeah. So I read one review which is saying like, rather than him, um, he's not like against the odds, he's just defying them. So he seems so capable to begin with. It's less like a, a case of will he or won't he it's like will he but how will, how he? will he yeah so i think that's where maybe uh it dragged a little for me because uh, there was no real stakes it was just more the process but that itself was enjoyable yeah yeah i agree like uh i mean there's there is tension in the film but um you know that like every character is a genius basically like, <laughs> they're gonna work it out yeah they're gonna they're gonna figure out something um, but it was always interesting to see exactly what they were going to do. And it's got this ridiculous supporting cast. Yeah. Of, like, every single supporting character is, like, an A-list actor. I think that that's, that must have been a deliberate choice made because um, the cast is really huge. Like, it's probably bigger than is strictly necessary. Um, but uh, the way that they keep on top of it is that you recognize every single person in the film. So it helps you <laughs> keep track of them. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You're like, oh, it's that guy. It's that guy from you know, The Winter Soldier. It's that woman from House of Cards. You know, it's just, you, you know who everyone is. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I think that goes a long way to, because basically everything they say in the movie is mainly just uh, science jargon. 
mm. which as uh, a very commendable job of making it compli- uh, not dumbing it down, but making it um, simple enough for people to grasp. Yeah, but well, everyone's yeah, but... line is about building something or deadlines. Yeah, yeah. But so it helps they got these super charismatic cast to like. Because they're all basically saying the same kind of lines. Yeah. I think in a way that was... What's one of the things that's most impressive about the film, I think, is the way that they pitch that. The line between um, oversimplifying and uh, making it like over-complex and incomprehensible. I think it's a very hard thing to pitch for a mainstream blockbuster film in a way that um, will both... You know, it tells the story you want to tell and is understandable, but doesn't lead to people just rolling their eyes and being like, come on. <laughs> I mean, there, was, there was a couple of moments where one scientist will turn to another scientist and say, but we can't do that because of this scientific reason that you probably know anyway. Yeah, the yeah. audience won't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the fact that there weren't more of those and that they, it wasn't particularly jarring. Like I was, um, uh, I was totally on board with that. Whereas there are so many movies which only have a bit of science in them and get it so wrong. Like, <laughs> you watch something the day after tomorrow and like, there's like a bit where like some scientists are talking to each other, and you just want to kill yourself right away. So yeah, that was excellent. That was really great. Um, Matt Damon is uh, really, really good in it. He's yeah. super charismatic, and like his character is also a slightly hard one to pitch in that he is uh, keeps a sense of humor throughout, and uh, in the face of you know, I'm gonna die any seconds, and it would I feel like that would be very easy, easily annoying. Yeah, like yeah. The sort of irrepressible guy, but he's just so damn charismatic that he pulls it off. That's kind of Matt Damon's thing. He's like sort of a chummy everyman guy who you'd hang out with, and he's also very heroic. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's good at. If the, yeah, but that. saying that, I think if there is a weakness, it doesn't really dwell or address the fact that this guy's has been alone for like no. a year. It's and yeah. there's like a little scene where he seems a little bit freaked out, but I kind of wish there would. Um, yeah, they've been a, a bit, bit more psychological. More... Yeah, because toughness. one of the devices in the movie is that he's talking to these GoPros, like doing like a little vlog, and I kind of wanted to see because it's like he's performing for the camera almost. It's like yeah, yeah. the camera is like another person, but like you never really. He's, so he's never like really alone in a sort of. Uh, that makes sense. You know, like he's always performing to somebody, mm. and I would have liked to have seen a couple more scenes where. You know, fuck, I've been here for like six months just eating potatoes and I might die any second. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I noticed I that, like, I was quite conscious of um, the fact that that must be the most horrendous torture <laughs> imaginable, like, what happens to him. And he's just such a cheery guy, kind of pulls through a bit. Like, I think that that's probably a deliberate choice for the tone of the movie, you know? Yeah. That is not, it isn't something that's about, like how incredibly horrible it is but it's just more about the you know ingenuity and the and the spiritedness and stuff yeah exactly yeah yeah i think probably the the main sort of creative force behind the movie is the scripts yeah it, script um, script is really good drew goddard really good uh, was drew goddard did a really good job adapting the book uh as really scott is like i'm a bit sort of torn him as a director i don't know if he's good or not he makes so many bad films his batting average is quite low and i would say like it's very like well put together but it doesn't really have a huge creative stamp on it, I would say. No. And um, but it's well, it's, like, it's, it's, it's well, well made. made. Yeah. But I think I would say that like I never really thought he was on Mars. He always just seems to be like in a big desert somewhere, and they never really make it seem very alien. That's I would true. Say. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I'm nitpicking. I think it's you know it's a really propulsive, fun movie. I mean, you get stranded in like literally the first two minutes. Yeah. It already, yeah. Like, grabs you. Uh, yeah. by the balls it doesn't let go I think it's to the, the film's credit there's all these sorts of pitfalls that it doesn't fall into and uh, 
one of those being like they don't give him some sort of like really shoehorned in motivation that would be lame like he's constantly taking out a picture of his wife and kids and like weeping or something like that <laughs> and um one of the films that uh, this is a bit like is gravity has elements of gravity in it and that kind of did have that thing like yeah she's got some kind of you know i'm human i've got a problem you know i can you can relate to me and i'm glad that they didn't bother with that with matt damon as far as he's totally alone in the world as far as the film is concerned yeah, he doesn't yeah, have yeah. a wife doesn't have kids or any of that um and also uh i really feel like this is a film where some studio guy would have read it and just said there are too many characters no one will have any idea who the hell these people are and you kind of don't really know there's a lot of people who work for nasa in this film and you don't really keep track of what their jobs are exactly but i like that because it feels like a bustling place where all this stuff is happening all the time and there's like a team of people who work on the same problem and i think like yeah. that's something and they're all like um sort of throwing themselves uh, into it you know? yeah and Ch- chiwetel ejiofor is probably the most prominent him and jeff daniels the most prominent of the supporting cast and they're both really really good um uh chiwetel gets to wear a number of really excellent uh, suits and stuff like that so yeah i just it's, fun for him. it's basically uh it's real love-letter like science and yeah like, space is cool and it is amazing it looks that... like the whole thing is aimed at like high school science kids in in the u.s to get them really super pumped about biology i read like, yeah one review which i think was like um put it perfectly was there's like a scene in apollo 13 uh the famous ron howard movie where they've got they've got to like produce more oxygen for the astronauts and there's like there's a team of astronauts um like in nasa and they're like we've got this stuff on board we need to make two and like these like engineer geniuses like work it out in like half an hour and then like they tell them how to do it and like the whole movie is like that yeah that yeah scene, the whole but... movie is that there's actually like... a bit like that where it's like do we can we make a bomb with stuff on board and it's like yes of course i can but yeah it's something amazing about watching all like human knowledge like uh you know solidified in one thing yeah you yeah. know like every all the maths all the science all the chemistry you've learned is like being put on this one task yeah As i was like people are cool. smart i don't know i can do any of that shit <laughs> people are clever man yeah good work ridley good work ridley can't wait for alien paradise lost it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna sure that will showcase all the strengths of this film yeah. uh, 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 uh. can't wait for exodus gods and kings too ridley Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was out with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast Well, you know what's going kiss my ass Is I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, I was tasked with doing the end finally. I was trying to find something in the news related to films. I noticed that the Pope's been uh, poping about recently, mm. um, appearing places, doing a, like an American tour. And I figured Pope Cinema, there's got to be a crossover there somewhere. So I've devised this Pope based film quiz. Okay, gosh. Five questions. Yeah. My, my target point score is one. Let's see if I can meet that. Okay. Question one. What is Pope Francis's favourite film? There's a choice of five. Calamity Jane, La Strada, The Bicycle Thieves, It's a Wonderful Life, or Tango and Cash? <laughs> um, I'm going to guess, um, I don't know, Bicycle Thieves. Oh, 
No, I guess, can I try again? Yeah, sure. half point. Sure. Wonderful life? No. no. It was Lestrada. Lestrada, as opposed to very film. Yeah. It's a Fellini man. He's, Fellini loves neorealism. Okay. Um, in 1995, to celebrate 100 years of cinema, the Vatican released a list of 45 great films. The list was separated into three sections, art, religion, and values. Of this list of ten, <laughs> three of them aren't on the list. I'm going to throw some names at you again. Okay. Okay. What, say, sorry, I'm a bit lost here. So Vatican released the Vatican 45... 45 great films. Great films. It's like their best. These are the best films, according to the Vatican. On, on the themes of art, religion, uh, and... Values. And values. Well, they've categorized them, but it's a bit loose. Okay. So I'm going to throw... I need to identify the three films that are not... Yeah. That are not in the Vatican's top 45. Exactly. Okay. Okay, so here are the films. The Wizard of Oz. 2001 A Space Odyssey. To Kill a Mockingbird. The Lavender Hill Mob, Eight and a Half, Bridge on the River Kwai, Stagecoach, Fantasia, Gandhi, Tango and Cash. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Tango and Cash is not... Ugh. Rumble is okay. not on there. There's two more in there. Two more in there. Okay, so this is really hard. You know, I can't really second guess the Vatican's approach to values here. I know. Okay, um, I'm going to go with 2001. No, that's on the list. It's on the list. It's not a very godly film, is it? I know. There's a few weird ones here. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess Stagecoach. No, not one of them. No, <laughs> Stagecoach is on the list. On the Vatican loves Stagecoach. Gandhi? Nope, Gandhi's on the list. <laughs> the Vatican love Gandhi. <laughs> okay. Wizard of Oz? <laughs> no, that's, on the, that's on the list. That's on the list. The Vatican loves Wizard of Oz. I can't, I can't find the film. <laughs> it's, uh, um, the ones you haven't said... Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, The Lavender Hill Mob, A and a Half, Bridge on the River Kwai, and Fantasia. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess The Lavender Hill Mob. No, that's on the list. Eight and a half? No, it's, I think it's like eight and a half. <laughs> Fantasia? No, that's on the <laughs> So what are the... Kill a Mockingbird? To Kill a Mockingbird and Bridge on the River Kwai aren't on the list. Well, uh, <laughs> it didn't stand out. I know, that's why they were great. That's one great. great picks. Well, in a way, it's quite impressive of me to named every film <laughs> that was on the list. I know. <laughs> Test the memory. Okay, this one's, this one's quite easy. In 1984, Albert Finney and Brian Cox both appeared in a TV movie about Pope John Paul II, the former playing the title role. This is the only film in which they've both appeared on screen together. But they would later go on to have roles in which franchise? The Bourne The films. Bourne films. Excellent. Yes. Okay, the next question is an audio question. I've had to skip ahead in this clip because there was like a spoilery, very obvious giveaway at the beginning. Okay. So it's going to go straight in the middle of a scene. Okay. What is this clip from? Which okay. film? What's the film? They have struck us from within, murdering our Holy Father and threatening us all with destruction at the hands of their new god, Science. They call it retribution. They, they think it justified because of the church's attacks on men of science in the distant past, and it's true. Since the days of Galileo, this church has tried to slow the relentless march of progress, sometimes with misguided means. But science and religion are not enemies. There are simply some things that science is just too young to understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So that sounded like Ewan McGregor to me. Would that be correct? Yep, yep. Was it Angels and Demons? It was. Yes! A Pope-centric Angels and Demons. Angels and Demons. 
Fantastic. Ewan McGregor is obviously delivering the performance of his life in that film. And a very convincing Irish accent. So what was the first line? Was it like, uh, uh, Da Vinci sent his yeah, angels something and something like the Illuminati to... or something. Yeah. <laughs> and the final question. I'm going to read you a list of film titles. One of these is not a real film. Okay. The Pope's Toilet. The Pope Must Die. The Pope's Last Day. In the Pope's Eye. Or We Have a Pope. <laughs> Four of those are real films. And then again. Certainly. The Pope's Toilet, The Pope Must Die, The Pope's Last Day, In the Pope's Eye, We Have a Pope. Oh God, I don't know. I'm going to guess The Pope Must Die. No, that's, that's one of the films. Um, I'm going to guess. <laughs> I can't do these fucking guess rounds. I should the have the Pope's down, Last Day. Yes. That yes! was the fake one. Yes. <laughs> only took me two guesses to guess the fake one. <laughs> Wow. 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 We've all learned a lot about the Pope. Oh, thank God. Pope-centric films. Well, I'm delighted to have gotten five out of five on that quiz. I didn't think I would do it, but now that I've done it, it seems inevitable. Yeah. Inevitable, as Brad Pitt would say. Inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other thing that is inevitable is the relentless march of time, which is why it's time for us to call an end to this podcast. Yes. To play us out, the Tango and Cash theme song. <laughs> yeah, why not? Bye. <laughs> Play the second favorite film. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.